Welcome to Together We Grow, our podcast at Mercy Connect. Join us as we explore the world of disability, interviewing guests who share their story and insights on their experience with disability. Hi, it's Trent Dean here and welcome to this episode of Together We Grow. Sponsored by Mercy Connect, this podcast series continues to explore a range of contemporary issues and trends impacting people with disability and those working within the disability sector. I'd like to acknowledge the people of the Wiradjuri Nation who are the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded. Today I'm joined by the wonderful Julianne White, who is the founder and CEO of Amaranth Foundation. After graduating in nursing at St Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne, Julianne then worked in the healthcare sector across rural and regional community settings in acute and community-focused nursing roles. After 25 years in nursing and wanting to expand her knowledge of human behaviour and health inequity, Julianne obtained a Bachelor of Social Work from La Trobe University in Wodonga. As an agent for change, Julianne established the Amaranth Foundation, which provides a range of services across rural communities situated within the Riverina and Murrumbidgee regions of New South Wales. She is a member and director of the Australian Association of Social Workers and an accredited mental health social worker. Julianne is currently completing her PhD in the field of social work and palliative care, and in 2017, she was awarded an Order of Australia Medal for her work in advancing palliative care in the community. Welcome, Julianne. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks so much, Trent. It's a delight to be here. Fantastic. And look, first of all, I'm fascinated to learn more about the Amaranth Foundation, particularly the meaning of the word Amaranth, and what motivated you to start this organisation? Well, they're two very big questions, aren't they? So amaranth is a beautiful word. It's a Greek word that means to last forever, amaranthus. Um, it's a plant. It's a, a beautiful plant that grows just in anywhere. Like the, the poorer the soil, the richer it grows. We wanted our work in amaranth to be about having lasting meaning in people's lives. So when that name was suggested to me from a beautiful Jesuit priest, I thought, yeah, I'm going to use that one. That fits. And it's different. It's unique. So I thought, and it's also a really beautiful colour trend as well. It's a deep crimson colour and that, you know, we just use that on all our branding. It's just perfect. So I love it. And what was the, the catalyst for starting this, this wonderful service? Yeah, that's a good question. After all those years in health, so a really long time working as a nurse and then as a social worker in a variety of public and private organisations, just felt a bit frustrated with the way systems worked and the, the slowness mm. of things and sometimes too the repetition of cycles of things. And I thought, look, I could either be a catalyst for change or perpetuate what was frustrating me. Um, spoke to my father who was a philanthropist and said, Jules, you're the solution or the problem, come back with a solution. So Dad and I came up with the idea of starting our own foundation and it's been an absolute wonderful journey since 2009. And what sort of services do you, and programs do you run through Amaranth Foundation? Yes, yeah, so f at the beginning, Trent, we started doing a lot of mental health work. So it was counselling, mostly for people with grief, loss and trauma, and working a lot in the palliative care space. We still do some of that work, but less of it at the moment. Um, and we're focusing our attention on rural and regional NDIS services, aged care brokered services, and a bit of mental health work and you know, just you know whatever whatever comes our way, really. That's a very broad uh, range mm. of services and programs. And I note your corporate office or your, your head office is in Corowa, That's in right. sort of west of Albury, if you will, on the border there. Um, what sort of key differences do you see, you know, when you're providing supports to people with disability, particularly in those regional and remote settings, when you compare them, say, to the more, again, urban and metropolitan mm. settings? 
What I love about being located where we are in small rural communities is that the opportunity for us, beautiful social work model, isn't it, where you can connect things, um, very systems orientated. I like to integrate things to collaborate well. I think you've got an opportunity in small rural communities where there is a lack of services to actually be a catalyst to bring people together to connect people. So our work we do with people is really a very wraparound model of care. And I think rural communities and smaller communities really are a wonderful, rich ground in order to work holistically with people. And I think that's what we bring uniquely and different to our small rural communities, communities as opposed to in the larger metro centres like Albury or Wagga, where you're competing with a hell of a lot of other services. Mm. So we, and I live in Corowa, so it's sort of mm. like creating an organisation where people like myself that really want to live local with our families and make a difference locally can actually have a career progression as well rather than always have to move to a regional centre. So it's fair to say that, you know, the size that you are, you can be quite impactful. Yes. Because you're one of a few providers, mm. but that connectedness was what I'm hearing, you know, mm. your, your knowledge of the area, uh, you can be more impactful for those in your area. Would that be a fair comment? Absolutely, yeah. And I think the beauty of that is that you can be very agile. If you stay at a reasonable size, and I think we're about the right size now for what I would like to achieve where we are, but you can be really agile. You can make decisions quickly. You can respond to whatever might be happening locally. And uh, I would wager with those range of programs and services, you would have various funding streams and that might and, and revenue streams. Is that, I guess, been some of a challenge in the, in the environment when you're trying to respond to local need as they arise and, and, and systems that are generally rigid? How have you found that? Oh, look, that is one of the biggest challenges. It absolutely is. And it does require you to sort of have almost a a, a whiteboard that's really quite dynamic. You know, you've got to be able to remember where the money comes from and how you split it up. What we do, Trent, is we actually see a person coming in the door and I don't want to be, oh, that's the NDIS, that's an aged mm. care service. We see people. People come in the door. We've actually got an, a, um, an avatar we call her Audrey. Audrey comes to Amaranth and she might need NDIS, she might need the food bowl, she might mm. need housing, she might need aged care, she just might need a chat and a cup of tea. Whatever they need, we see people first and systems and programs are fitted around the person. Fantastic. And I'm interested in your experiences then when providing this palliative care service that you do and support, particularly for people with disability uh, and maybe their families and carers. What experiences have you had there where you're doing that sort of palliative care for that, that cohort? Yeah, really good question, Trent. I think this is a really unique opportunity and I'm absolutely passionate about what the NDIS can provide for people. Early palliative care, so getting in when people are first diagnosed with a, an advanced chronic and terminal illness is wonderful if you can set systems up and services for them that allow them to have purpose, meaning and hope. The focus of our work, you know, we do have nurses um, on our team, so they do a lot of the clinical care for people in collaboration with Murrumbidgee Local Health District and the Primary Health Network. But a lot of our focus is the psychological and psychosocial supports that people need, you know, putting services in place for them, ensuring that they're psychologically they're well cared for. The NDIS is just fantastic in responding to people that have got a disability and an, uh, a life-limiting illness because you can actually provide support and services that are not provided in any other program across Australia. And I think doing it well, doing it right, understanding the NDIS and the nuances of it, you can actually achieve incredible things for people. And have you seen a, a good uptake or an understanding of how to tap into those services, particularly through the NDIS, or is it an emerging market or an unknown space? I think it's a bit of both. It's a very unknown space because there's a sense that this is health. It's the responsibility of health to look after people who've got a health issue. Whereas if you've got a disability, whether it's a health-related disability or a physical disability or psychosocial disability, you can still 
have a disease from which you're going to die. And I think understanding what palliative care can really do for people. It's not just caring for people as they're dying in the last six or eight weeks of life. It's caring for people on diagnosis two to three years before they're dying and helping their families adjust and cope and working with them to provide things that they may not know are available. And have you seen, um, with that growing understanding of that service, an increase in people accessing those types of services, whether locally or more, more abroad? Uh, from the services we offer, we are actually picking it up with a lot of the clients that we've got mm. and seeing an opportunity to start the conversations about palliative care early for people when we know that they've got a range of comorbidities. So we've got quite a few clients that have got physical disabilities, but they've also got health-related disabilities like heart failure or diabetes at, at an end stage. So we can actually help prepare them through our normal services that we do. So through the NDIS, you've got trained support workers that can actually help a person make sure they've got their legal things in place, that they're actually having conversations around what it might be like when they're, when they're looking at being cared for as they die and what their families might need. So we've got a, a focus on it. We watch for it. We're tuned into it. We start the conversations early with people. And I think for the people that we're actually caring for now that are palliating, the difference in what I'm seeing and the care that they're getting and the sense of meaning, purpose and hope is phenomenal and the difference for those people that don't and can't access the mm. NDIS is quite, uh, it's a vast difference in the care and the services they can get. And you've said that magic uh, acronym of NDIS, which is the National Disability Insurance Scheme. And as we know, in the last couple of weeks, the new report just came out, which has given us an overview of what uh, NDIS 2.0 looks like uh, Mm. under the Labor government. I'm interested, uh, what's your experience been when dealing with the NDIS directly with funding or queries otherwise? Yeah, what's been your experience? Yeah, really good question, Trent. It can be really varied, but I think as it's maturing and as we're maturing, so we're probably better at asking the questions, knowing what to ask for and what to look for. I found it excellent, really excellent. And particularly in this palliative care space, if you really know how to describe the health-related disabilities, you can work with people and help educate them a little bit about what they might need, what is available in the community, what is NDIS's responsibility, what is health's responsibility. When you know that, and as we're maturing and understanding you know, the nuances that come out um, through the NDIS and also understanding healthcare funding, I think we're going to get... This will be a, a, an incredible area within the NDIS. There is a bit of a movement. There's a few organisations doing it in Melbourne, like really focusing on palliative care. I've done a fair bit of travel around talking to other palliative care services um, and you know, it really started to increase other people's knowledge about how we can use it well. Uh, so my experience, getting back to your question, my experience with the NDIS has really been excellent. That's great. And and I'm interested also to note with the clients and the participants of the NDIS that you serve, uh, what's their understanding and how their family's navigating? Are you finding any sort of observations or feedback on that front? Look, it's really tricky. It's very varied. I'm finding that a lot of people, especially when they come into the NDIS, have very little understanding. You know, they know that there's a bucket of money. They know that there's programs. They know that there's stuff that they can access. People really... Don't if they've got complex needs, I find they really don't understand the full vast dimension of the NDIS and what it can do to change lives. Um, I see our role as being real educators and helping people navigate that and perhaps giving them possibilities or um, or even if we're not the right fit for people, finding the right fit for them as well too is really important. So yeah, getting back to your question again, mm. um, yeah, most people I find don't. But look, after a year or two, I find that they're getting a better 
a hang of it. You know, they seem to know what they mm. can do. And also because the NDIs is very goal-focused, you know, so we're trying to p- help people achieve goals, change lives. Mm. When you use that language with people, they sto- slowly get used to it. Because it's not normal language. We don't go around every day going, oh, what's my goals? Correct. Yeah. And it is, I guess, a shared responsibility, not just with the service providers, but with the families and the people and the participants themselves to understand. Um, But it's certainly after 10 years, we're still, I guess, learning uh, how it all works, aren't we? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things I'm really passionate about, and I know you are equally uh, from from our many conversations, is the supports of people beyond the NDIS and knowing that we've got a you know increase in cost of living expenses at the moment, and inflationary pressures, and increasing interest rates. We're seeing at least you know in the communities uh, a greater need for support for people in our community, people with disability, or, or people who are you know uh, in in the more marginalised and more vulnerable settings. Oh. So I'm interested to learn about um, the food bowl that is operated by Amaret. Foundation and how that started and and what you've seen in terms of utilisation over the last couple Mm. of months. Yeah, really good question, Trent. We started the Food Bowl way back in 2010. Uh, We were a very small organisation then and we just had hampers that we gave out to people. What I noticed was when people were coming in for therapy or or asking for services or what could we provide, it's not always counselling, it's not always a program. Sometimes people really are just struggling to put food on the plate or when kids are home or the holidays are there, they really struggle with just some of the nicer things. So we've got an amazing relationship with Food Share up here in Wodonga. Um, We've been working Mm. with them now for like, I don't know, over 10, 12 years um, so we would used to drive up and pick up a truckload of car, you know, a carload of food yeah. and bring it back and then distribute it to people in hampers. Now we're using the old railway station in in Korowa. Mm. And look, we, we distribute nearly three tonne of food a week. Wow. So it ranges, depending on the weather, between 150 to 350 people a week come in mm. for some form of assistance. So some people come every day. And what our surveys and our um, research there is that a lot of people don't have big fridges, which, you know, and they don't have a freezer, so they've got to come in every day. Mm. Um, You know, and for a lot of people, it's a social chat. We've got quite a few that will come every day just for a chat. Yeah, they might just get a loaf of bread or they might just get something. Um, But they're coming in to see the volunteers or see the people, our staff that are there. But Trina, a really beautiful thing, and I'm so proud of this, the last 12 months we've been helping supporting our a couple of participants three mainly that are just growing in their their appreciation of what mm. can happen in the food bowl but they're NDIS participants mm. they are three people with some psychosocial disability they are just embracing this opportunity to volunteer with their support workers working in the food bowl every single day and the growth and the understanding and just the the kindness that mm. these individuals are showing the service users that come in is just amazing what a really wonderful amazing. opportunity, that community, yeah. community inclusion that you created oh. through this project, not yeah. only you know, providing an essential service for the community, but as you say, opportunity for connectedness and oh. engagement during their yep. day. It's wonderful. Yeah. And I'm interested, again, with the utilisation, have you seen an increase over recent months or how's that shift happened? Yeah, we have. We've, had, we've noticed an increase of about 100 people a month, so that's about 25 a week. Mm. Um, but we're noticing a lot of people more out of town, so from Yorana and Rand, people that are between an hour distance coming coming in once a week or once a fortnight and just saying, look, we've just got nothing left. We've also found quite a few people that you wouldn't expect coming to a food bowl, but there's been, as they've explained to us, a life crisis. So mm. sometimes it's just that massive electricity bill or um, we've got a few new people that have come just this in the last month with health issues where they've had a massive cost for whatever, hospital admission or medications. 
Um, and so that's a different cohort that we've seen just recently. And is it just, and I'm talking, you know, the range of uh, products and things that you'd have, this is as much essentials as mm. it is more the more higher-end products, isn't it? It's, it's the essentials. Yeah, totally yeah? essentials, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just, you know, breakfast cereals, bread, a lot of bread, milk, salads. Um, yeah, really, there's not the high-end stuff. We don't get an awful lot of things like laundry detergent mm. and toiletries and personal items. There's a lot of just stable foods that come in. Which really yeah. does highlight that need. And, and I'm assuming it's a program that probably wouldn't have great amounts of funding behind it and, and, <laughs> and needing that support from community, would that be a comment that's fair? Oh, an absolute fair comment, yeah. And um, so I, I suppose it's a really good opportunity here to say that we've formed a beautiful relationship with Mercy Connect who have donated money to assist us with the food bowl and that has just been tremendous. So, you know, in broadening our reach and getting the message out there to people so that there'll be more people that we can help across that bigger footprint. No, you're very welcome, mm. and it's so important that, uh, again, for purpose organisations mm. support one another, particularly mm. in this more challenging economic climate. Uh, Julianne, I'm interested, you know, with your many years of experience and the wonderful programs and services you've operated, and, and again, that, that real compassionate heart, what are some of the things you wish uh, the general public better understood about disability? Oh, what an amazing question. What I'd love people to know, Trent, is that the disabilities don't define a person. A disability is just something someone has and it affects their world in different ways and it's how hard or easy their environment is to access. Like some person with only a mild physical or a visible disability might not be disabled at all if the environment around them is holistic and suits the purpose. Other people with only a mild disability might have a phenomenal um, problem, you know, accessing what they need because of just whether the environment around them makes them more disabled. I think we've got to see it in the context of people's lives, you know, what they understand disability to be for them. The biggest thing too is the hidden disabilities, as you know, Trent, too. Mm. You know, we just often don't know what people have that impacts on their lives. And we make judgments of people. Often we can see someone in a wheelchair, the number of people in our community that we have no idea what they're just living with and the impact it has on their lives. That's a great, great answer. And um, look, our, our episode, unfortunately, is coming to an end today. But Julianne, I want to thank you, one, for being a guest on Together We Grow today. And more, more importantly, your ongoing advocacy and, and strong sense of community and uplift that you bring in the local regions that you serve. Uh, it does take a very special kind of person to start an organisation off their own bat uh, and, and to continually meet and respond to community need without fear or favour. And I just admire you and just really want to say thank you on behalf of our community uh, for the work you do through Amaranth and Foundation and who you are as a person. That is absolutely beautiful sentiment, Trent, and I thank you so much for this opportunity. No, um, you you're know, very just... welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Now, if any of our listeners uh, would like to support the Essential Food Bowl program delivered by Amaranth Foundation and Coroa, either through donation or perhaps volunteering, you can contact the Amaranth Foundation through their website at amaranth, that's A-M-A-R-A-N-T-H, .org.au, amaranth.org.au or via their contact number on 02-6033-1738. That's 02-6033-1738. This week I leave you with a quote from Robert F. Kennedy, a former American politician and lawyer, who said, It is not more bigness that should be our goal. We must attempt rather to bring people back to the warmth of community, to the worth of individual effort and responsibility, and of individuals working together as a community, to better their lives and their children's future. 
I'd like to thank everyone who has downloaded or streamed this latest episode of Together We Grow and look forward to welcoming you back again for our next episode, where we'll continue to hear stories and shared learnings and experiences from people with disability and those that support them. And remember that it is together and only together that we grow. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Together We Grow. For more information, check out our website, mercyconnect.org.au.